0: In the beginning, God. Now there was in those days in the land of Uz, a man named Job. Now in those days a decree went out for Caesar Augustus that every man should be taxed. There was a man who came who sent from God and his name was John. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers. The Word of God is telling a story. It begins eternity past, and it stretches all the way into eternity future. And those of you who are familiar with the story, it has these these chapter titles that you might know and understand. The beginning starts like this, how it all began, how it all went wrong, how it all turned around, and how it all will never end. This is the story that God is telling. And the theme of the story is this word we say, shalom. This word where how all things are moving towards the day. The day where everything will be put back in its created place. People and things doing what they were created to do while resting in a loving relationship with their creator. And by God's grace, it's a story that you and I get to be characters in. Human beings are story-shaped people. We're born into stories, we're raised into stories, we live and die in stories, and whenever we have a big question in our life, what am I supposed to do, where am I supposed to live, how am I supposed to deal with this, what's going to happen to me when I die, how do we cope with those things, how do we discuss those things? Through story, we tell a story. And your life task and my life task is to be a character in the greatest story ever told. That's literally what you were created to do. Well, good morning, friends. My name is Pastor Milo. If you're watching from home, it's so good to have you here with us. If you're here in the room with us, it's so good to have you here as well. If you've got a Bible, and I hope that you do, will you get out your Bibles this morning and turn this morning to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. I do believe that what we're going to talk about this morning has the power to change your life. Why? Because I believe that the story of Jesus has the power to change your life. I believe that the symbols that we use, the ordinances that we practice, are all part of telling the same story, this great story, the story of Jesus. And we tell it again and again and again. It's the greatest story ever told. But first I'm going to tell a silly story that's all right every night at our dinner table we play a game Uh, it's a simple game there's there's two rules to the game and it's not always perfectly executed but here are the rules of the game not talking is not an option and not listening is not allowed the rules of the game are not talking is not an option and the second rule is not listening is not allowed and in this game we go through and we do this this is the name of the game one thing That's it. Say one thing, talk about one thing that happened to you. Tell us a story of one thing that happened to you today. Let me tell you what, when our kids aren't busy poking each other and they're not angry at each other or if they're paying attention or listening or not cramming their face full of spaghetti, it actually goes pretty well. We have a conversation around the dinner table about what happened during the day. Elias, our youngest, he's in first grade. He always has something to talk about that has to do with some element of show and tell, what somebody brought in to school, and we don't know why it's exciting or important. And so he tells us about it, and we kind of nod and smile, and that's about it. Uh, my eighth grader, Hazel, just made the high school track team, and this, she tells us stories about how the weird uh, high school boys on the track team, every time that they go out for a mile run or a two-mile run, it, all at once, all the boys take off their shirts. That's just what happens. They go for a run, they all take off their shirts. And so, as an aside, I need to share this with you. This is from according to weather.com, if you ever ask the question, what's the weather like in Buffalo, New York in April? it says this April is the spring in Buffalo it's typically the sixth coldest month coldest month of the year daytime maximum temperatures average a cool 53 degrees Wilted at night 35 degrees Fahrenheit is normal it's not that hot guys there's no reason for you to be taking off your shirts My my daughter's in eighth grade stop taking off your shirts relax my wife shared her one thing about a year ago and it's a very interesting and and unique story worth me sharing it with you here uh this morning it was in the early days of covid when we didn't really know how to interact with each other in this new world where we weren't sure of uh, the hand sanitizer stations or the six foot stickers on the floor when you go to the grocery store how to interact and how to stay spaced away from each other but you knew that you had to wear a mask when you entered the store So Aaron's one thing was to tell the story about when she got to the grocery store, she entered the grocery store just behind a gentleman who arrived at the doors of the grocery store and did not have a mask. And so he stopped, grumbled for a minute, and turned and went back to the car, and that's all she thought about. The man goes back to his car. And then she runs into the man again in the grocery aisle, the same man. She runs into him in the grocery aisle and it becomes very evident that when he went back to the car, he didn't have a mask in his car either. And so what he decided to do was to look in the back of his SUV, look at all the items that were in the trunk of his car, and fashion for himself a mask by which he would be able to enter the store safely. And so he looked at the back of his car, he looked and decided he needed something that could properly seal over his nose and his mouth to make sure that no matter what, no matter who he ran into, that he would not ingest the particulate in the air, uh, get himself uh, COVID-19, and make himself and all of his family sick. And so he did this thing to make sure that he did not get COVID-19. He went in the back of his car and, and pulled out of his vehicle a shopping bag and put it over his head. So this man, in order to make sure that he did not get sick from COVID-19, took a pla- literally took a plastic bag and put it over his mouth and over his nose. And that's who she runs into in the cereal aisle tries not to look at him in the eye because he looks absolutely ridiculous. Uh, she runs around the corner, laughs at him, and then finishes the rest of her shopping there at the grocery store. And then who, guess who, is steps right in front of her, kind of budges in front of her in line, just as she's about to push her cart through the checkout lane. It's grocery cart guy with a plastic bag over his head. You remember who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So he goes to the checkout line and now she makes eyes with the cashier who has got these big crazy eyes like what is going on with this man and tries to act normal while she checks him out. And as he walks away from the register and then walks and goes out the door, the two of them burst into laughter because she says, I have never seen anything like that before. Absolutely absurd. All right. So what about you? Look to your right, look to your left. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. What's one thing that happened to you? Tell someone the story. What's one thing? On your mark, get set, go. What's your one thing? You see, friends... Our stories are actually from God. Our stories are from God. Stories are actually God's idea. God's the one who created story, or certainly the terms or the form of story, and made us into being story-formed creatures. And he has chosen story to be the primary way by which we communicate with one another and present him to his creation. It's all done through story. The Bible doesn't just contain stories. It is in itself a story that is being told. And how God has chosen to preserve for himself that that knowledge that is being, being preserved over generations is being told in the form of a story, generation after generation after generation. God is telling a story, and in that chapter, the chapter I said was titled, How It All Turned Around. May I be more clear and say, How Jesus Turned It All Around. We read these words from the Gospel of Matthew. I hope that you still have it open. Matthew, picking right up where Pastor Mario, who taught last week, where he left off with us. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16, reads like this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. If you're a guest with us in the room, if you're watching online, this is week six for us in a sermon series called The Church Defined. And so if we're going to do a sermon series here on the church defined, there's some things we need to cover. And last week, Pastor Mario looked at this passage, and he, he really dove in to be able to say, while you are going, you need to make disciples. The key thing that the church needs to be about is making disciples. But while you are going, make disciples. While you are going and while you are teaching, make disciples of Jesus. And whether you are going across the street or across the ocean, our responsibility as the local church is to be making disciples of Jesus. Let me add to it this morning and make the additional point is while you are going, while you are teaching and while you are baptizing, you need to be making disciples of Jesus Christ. And this last one's a little bit different when we talk about baptism because baptism is a symbolic act. You see, baptism, when we describe baptism, we, we describe it in the ways like this. We call it, it's an outward expression of an inward change that has already happened in someone's heart. It's an outward expression of an inward change. It's a symbol. In fact, it's only It's one of only two symbolic acts that we do, symbolic ceremonies that we perform in the church. So it's very important for us to understand what it represents. If we're going to preach a sermon series, we're going to call it the church defined, then we better be really sure that we define these two essentials when it comes to the church. These essentials we call the ordinances. That's another word that's used to describe these symbolic ceremonies that are the defined ordinances in the church of believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. Believer's baptism in the Lord's Supper. So the first point I made for you this morning is this, that stories are from God. Here's the second point. Our symbols tell God's story. Our stories are from God, and our symbols tell God's story. Just a moment ago, I called these ordinances. The word ordinance comes from a Latin word. It refers to something authoritatively ordained or commanded. So the ordinances are commanded or they are ordered by Jesus our Lord. All authority is given to me, it says here, all authority in heaven and in earth. And then he gives this commandment to be addressed to the church that that this is what was ordained, this command that was to be done, was to be baptizing. See the ordinances are always given to the church, not outside of the church. These ordinances don't belong to Congress, they don't belong to the legislature, they don't belong to the judiciary, they don't belong to the fraternity or some other type of civic organization. They belong to the church. The ordinances are always be practiced within the context of the local church. Now many of you are listening, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the room, it's, it's natural for our area, we come from a very uh, Catholic background or Catholic region where the Catholicism has a heavy influence on many of our lives. The Catholic Church and many Protestant churches as well, uh, they practice these ordinances of baptism and communion, but they use a different word. They call it something differently. They don't call it ordinances. They use these symbolic ceremonies, and they call this word a sacrament. You heard that before. sacrament where does that come from? Well, sacrament comes from a Latin word, sacramentum, which was usually originally used in the Latin form of scripture. So scripture was originally written in Greek, it was translated to Latin, and in the Latin word you have this sacramentum. The same word in the Greek, the same word is the word mysterion, or mystery. So it's describing, the sacraments are describing what happens, this mystery of God that was once hidden and is now revealed, it's made evident. This mystery is being revealed through the beauty of the gospel. So what's the big deal? Is there a difference? What's the difference? Sacrament, mystery of God, ordinance, ordained by God. What's the difference? Aren't they both true? Well, the distinction was important enough, it was specific enough, that when there was this decisive separation between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church during the Great Reformation, they made sure to use this distinction because they wanted to talk about it and they wanted to reject the sacraments, because there are seven sacraments, uh, including other ones that you probably are familiar with, the Sacrament of Confirmation, or the Sacrament of Confession, or the Sacrament of Last Rites. There are seven of those, but the distinction was going to be made by the Protestant church, and there in turn the Baptist church and anyone else who would step away during that time to be able to say these two distinct ordinances were ordained or commanded by Christ himself. So these two practices are very specifically given to us in Scripture. The symbolic ceremony of baptism and the Lord's Supper are unique and different from anything else that we could do in the local church. Why? Because our stories are from God, and our symbols tell God's story. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Our stories are from God, and our symbols tell God's story. Having been buried with him in baptism, you have also been raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature it was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, took it away, and nailed it to the cross. Isn't that beautiful? See, baptism is this wonderful, this compelling illustration, this symbolic representation of what happens in the story that God is telling being buried with him, being raised with him. And now you were once dead, but now you are alive. See, when Jesus was baptized by John, what was the message that John, John the Baptist, what was the message that he was communicating to those who were coming out to the wilderness to be baptized? He said this message over and over again. Repent and be baptized. Repent, turn from your sinful desires, turn from the people who are keeping you separated from God, turn from those things that are breaking the relationship between you and a holy God, turn from those things, from those people, from those selfish ambitions, turn from those things, and in the end, pursue after the one who is, uh, uh, pursuing from those dead things and pursue the one who is alive. And Jesus, in a true act of humility, as a sinless man who had nothing to repent of, demonstrated for us not a repentance that he needed to be uh, uh, washed from the sins or, or change his life in that sense, but he was going to foreshadow what would happen to him and how his life. Would, that this would illustrate how his life and his ministry would go on, how he would die on the cross, how he would be buried in the tomb and how he would be raised again victorious on that resurrection morning. You see, Jesus was baptized to symbolize the story of God. Jesus would be baptized to symbolize the story that God was telling. So when you and I, when we repent of our sins, when we turn our mind's attention, when we turn our heart's affection towards the things of God, turning away from our own desires, when we turn our eyes, when you turn your eyes on Jesus, the author, the finisher of your faith, you illustrate that, you symbolize that through believer's baptism. This is why we don't baptize infants. You see, we we dedicate infants. We had a child dedication last week, Mother's Day. We celebrated together how the church is going to come around. We are going to dedicate ourselves to raise our children in the admonition of the Lord. We do that, but we don't baptize infants. Because we believe that the person has to have an understanding, has to make a cognizant choice to be able to turn, repent from their sin, and pursue and turn to Christ. That's why it's called Believer's baptism. You see, when a person accepts Christ, they've surrendered their life to Christ, the first step of obedience is to turn and go and be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, in a sermon that Peter is delivering to a crowd of thousands on a day that historically now we look back and we call that day the day of Pentecost. The Apostle Peter, as he is talking and he's sharing the truth of the gospel to all who would listen, he shared that Jesus of Nazareth, that he had died on the cross a sinless man, that he had been buried there in the ground just like any other man, but he had been raised to life something supernatural had happened to him like no other man. He was now victorious over death itself. This was Jesus. This was the Messiah. This was the one that they'd been waiting for, the Savior of the world. And when the people heard this there, at Pentecost, it says they were cut to the heart, said, what should we do, Peter? And he responded, and he said, repent, and what? Be baptized. Be baptized, Peter tells them. Take your first step of obedience in this new life. Be baptized. Be baptized in order to tell the story to anyone who would come, anyone who would see you being baptized, anyone who would hear the story of you being baptized, to demonstrate externally the internal change that has happened within your heart within you through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, changing you from the inside out, you will be, what? Buried in the likeness of Jesus Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. And This is why. This is why we choose baptism by immersion. We believe that Jesus was baptized and Jesus demonstrated for us immersion because it shows this going down into the water and the coming up out of the water. Death coming to life. This symbolic act, this representation, the essential understanding of the glory of God, and the epic story that the Bible is teaching us and telling us. Because our stories, they're from God. Our symbols are telling God's story. We are buried in baptism with the Lord in the likeness of his death. We are raised To life. In the Lord's Supper, we eat broken bread. In the Lord's Supper, we drink the crushed fruit. Of the vine, this symbolic act is also another, in a very similar way, uh, it demonstrates the atoning, the suffering of Jesus again, uh, Jesus Christ, and once again we have this compelling, wonderful picture, this illustration that demonstrates for us the symbolic representation of the story of God. Turn over, if you would, to First Corinthians chapter eleven. First Corinthians chapter eleven. Beginning in verse 23, it says this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you tell the world the story of the Lord's death until he comes. See the epic story being told? It's a magnificent thing that God has done in these ordinances. If we just remember and are clear about knowing what they are, they are symbols. They are symbols. They do not give us salvation from our sin, but they do proclaim God's redemptive work and God's redemptive grace in our lives. They do not possess any magic in and of themselves, but they do dramatize the majestic truth of God's word. They do not cleanse our hearts. When we are washed in the water, we are not cleansed from our sin in any way, but it does, does. that story exhibits Christ's marvelous atoning love. Baptism doesn't wash away sin the Lord's supper does not ingest or inject the holy spirit or or Christ in us in any way when we participate in communion together I have to clarify that once again when we are told to do this in remembrance of me scripture is teaching us this is exactly how we are to perceive what communion or the Lord's supper is it's a sharing of a meal together it's a remembrance it's a memorial and consistent with the concept of believer's baptism, it's limited to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper, it's a memorial celebration by which the church remembers what Christ did on the cross to accomplish his salvation. Why am I making such a big deal about this? Again, with the clarity that we need to, to approach this with, understanding that we are coming from a Catholic context. There's much of that, that worship practices around us. This is an essential distinction that we adhere to as a church. You need to know the difference when we say these things. So in the Roman Catholic Church, when we say that the Lord's Supper is a memorial celebration, that is not what they believe in the Catholic Church. They they, they believe in something called transubstantiation. What that means is when the priest comes and prays over the elements That the elements substantively change, transubstantiation, that something changes in the elements in a supernatural way. That God himself, Christ himself, is actually dwelling in those elements when they take communion. It becomes the literal body, the literal blood of Christ that we are sharing together. We don't believe this. We don't believe this. And why not? Because we don't believe that it's consistent with Scripture. Because the Bible tells us, do this to remember me. The entire Lord's Supper, the the table, the time of communion was there to be a time of memorial, a time of remembrance. Believers' baptism, Lord's Supper, they are ordinances, they are ordained by God to be symbols, they are to illustrate God's story to help us remember. If you're ever in Boston, And you climb up a specific hill there, you'll see a monument there at the top. The Bunker Hill Monument. It reminds us of the struggle that happened there during the Revolutionary War. If you're ever in Washington, D.C., you'll see a monument there at the end of the reflection pool. It's the Lincoln Monument. It helps us to remember the struggle of the Civil War. If you're here in Buffalo and you're in front of City Hall, you'll see what there at the center. You'll see this monument that is there, the McKinley Monument. Monument, it helps us to remember something. Inscribed there on the McKinley Monument, it says this about President McKinley, the victim of a treacherous assassin who shot the president as who's extending to him the hand of courtesy. That monument is there to remind us of the fragility of life, regardless of who you are. You may be the president of the United States, and your life may end in the blink of an eye. See our stories they're from God and our symbols are busy telling the story of God. See the Bible understands that stories are not only central to our faith but they are the natural carriers of faith from one generation onto the next, the natural carriers of faith from one generation to the next. The people in the Old Testament are coached on this again and again and again. They're reminded of their master story and told to tell it and teach it again and again. The fact that these people of God were rescued out of the land of Egypt. Tell us again, tell us again. Build rock monuments, they were told, in the Jordan River so that every time that you go past it, every time that you see that monument, you are reminded what God has done here. Hear the prophets, hear the stories of God's faithfulness. Write the scriptures on the wall in Jerusalem as you rebuild so that you remember God's faithfulness in the past and you will see God's possibilities for the future. When God rescues you, when God heals you, tell the story. Psalm 102 verse 18 says this, let this story be recorded for future generations that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. You see, because someone lived out the story, and then someone else told the story, then someone else wrote down the story, and then someone else after that chose to repeat the story, generation after generation after generation, and the story of God's love continues to, to be told to all of creation. Every person. Every time. And you and I, we are the beneficiaries of this story. Which prompts this question. Are we going to be a generation that stops telling the story? Are we going to be the generation that does not pass the story on to the next generation? Let me bring you back to the dinner table for a moment. Do you remember the rules of the game? Not talking is not an option. Not listening is not allowed. Not talking is not an option. Not listening is not allowed. The name of the game, one thing. Tell me the story of Jesus. Tell me the story of Jesus. What's your one thing? What's your one thing that you can tell me about the story of Jesus? What's your one thing that you can tell me about the epic story that Scripture is teaching us again and again? What's your one thing that you can tell me about these symbols, these ordinances of baptism, of communion? What's your one thing that you can tell about Jesus? Here's my one thing for today. I had to think about it. I once was lost but now I'm found. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Luke chapter 15 verse 10 says, In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This passage in Luke chapter 15, this, this verse is in the middle of a passage where there's this common theme throughout the entire passage, stories that you're familiar with, stories that you're familiar with. Every story is focused on the one. The first story is a story of there being a hundred sheep, but one is missing. The second story is a story of there being ten coins, but one is missing. The third story is about there being two sons, but one is missing. The prodigal son, he is gone. And in each of the stories, in each of the stories, the one, the one who is lost, he becomes, or, or it becomes, found. And at the end of every one of these stories, there's this exuberant joy and celebration when the one is found. Isn't that awesome? I mean, to be able to think about what makes heaven happy, what makes the angels rejoice. There's so many things that could make heaven happy. When you look at the universe, when you look at the skies above us and all the intricacies that are available to us, all the beauty that's all around us, but the one thing that all of heaven erupts for is for a sinner who comes to repentance for the lost who has been found. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but I've been brought to life. One thing. That's what causes heaven to rejoice. So as the band comes this morning, dear Lord, we pray. We pray to you, Lord, that we would pursue one thing. Lord, we would pursue one thing, and that is telling the story of Jesus. Lord, I, I praise you and I thank you for seeking after me. I was lost, Lord, and you sought after me and you found me. And I pray this on behalf of all the others who are listening now. And Jesus, they, they're your children. Lord, they were lost they're out wandering, Lord, and you went out and you brought them in. We praise you, Father, for seeking after us. For all the things, all the things that could be going on in your kingdom, and yet you pursued after each and every one who calls you Lord. Lord, you came after me. You drew yourself, drew me unto you. You showered your love on me. I didn't deserve it. You showed your mercy to me. I didn't deserve it. You open my eyes that I might see Jesus. Well, there are some listening this morning who have never had that experience. Or some crying out, Rescue me. I'm lost. If that's you this morning, I pray that you would just call out to Jesus this morning. Call out to Jesus, I'm lost. I'm a sinner and I need you. I need you, Lord. And Jesus promises. He says, I'll come find you. I love going after lost things. I love seeking after the one. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you. Oh, I need you. And Lord, we know because of your promise in Scripture that you will go after the one. This morning I pray for those like myself, Lord, who have already given their lives to you. Let, let us realize today Lord that our lives need to reflect you Lord we need to learn to show and if you're here this morning you you need to be challenged this morning if you have lived a life of, of, of faith and you've pursued after Christ your life needs to reflect him in going after the one God in the midst of a sea of people around us help us to see faces help us to see names help us to see individuals knowing that you love them and we are to go after them with your love. Lord, as we look at this passage in Luke, there's only one thing worse than being lost, and that's if no one's out looking for you. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning, challenge us this morning to be a reflection of you, to be seeking, pursuing, loving the people right around us, going out into the world, whether it's across the street or across the ocean, to those who need to hear the gospel, those who need to hear the story of God. In Jesus' name.